Welcome to The Resonance, the podcast about energy and sustainability from Alpha Energy Group. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Alpha Energy Group podcast. I'm Jeremy Nicholson, Corporate Affairs Officer at Alpha, and I'm joined for my fortnightly catch-up on the UK commodity markets with Jason Durden, our Head of Energy Markets and Risk Management. Jason, we haven't started with oil for a while. A lot's been going on in the oil market too, hasn't it? And there's big questions about whether there's going to be oil released onto the market from strategic reserves. Can you explain what's been going on there? So, Jeremy, we had oil well over $80 a barrel and obviously causing some real political pain in the US with um, you know, certain areas paying more than $5 a gallon, which is, uh, you know, bigger than any point in uh, history. And obviously, politically, that doesn't play. So given that uh, OPEC, even ahead of their meeting, are still uh, in the next week or 10 days, are still signalling that... Uh, you know, there were real risks to uh, increasing too much more oil into the market too quickly, COVID being hung up um, around that and the resurgence in Europe and, and, and other places of case counts. So I think it's political, largely. It's the US, obviously, domestically, it's political suicide, high energy prices at home in the US. But ultimately, it's kind of, um, I suppose, just trying to work out how to get OPEC and uh, OPEC plus uh, Russia as well to agree to perhaps um, increasing production on a previously agreed quotas and taking some of the heat out of these prices. It does seem a little narrow in terms of the strategic reserve is a very limited, relatively small amount of oil that's released, even if it's uh, as is being touted at the moment, includes India and South Korea and Japan and also externally to that US group I've just talked about, but also China has talked about releasing some strategic reserves as well or, or, or intimated that it is considering it. So the sorts of volumes they can release in general terms is relatively moderate and I just wonder if it would be a very small flash in the pan and actually conversely work against uh, the, the, the very logic of what it's trying to do and because it's signalling that there is a, a very strong market and until the producers agree to produce more oil, um, it seems to me that um, it's gesture politics at best. Well, indeed, and, and as you say, there's only one chance to start tapping into strategic reserves if it doesn't have the desired effect or not enough of one uh, what do you do then and uh, it strikes me as you say that OPEC plus hold a number of the cards here and they're not going to lose a, a lucrative position for themselves um, easily I, I would have thought and turning now to gas where the issues are somewhat different you know the gas market has been in the news we know for months and months and months prices are still high although at least in the Asian market and, and to extent in Europe not as high as they were but the pressure's still there isn't it you know, there's German delays to Nord Stream 2 and issues about getting LNG into Europe. So do you see the situation looking a little bit more positive than some of the headlines or if we, is it going to look um, pretty difficult right the way through winter, do you think? I think we, we have to separate this into two things, Jeremy. I mean, in terms of supply, there are risks to supply and there are greater risks to um, supply than in a normal year. But at the moment, the indications are that the amount of gas available and the demand on the system looks to be 
relatively manageable and, and quite comfortable. Uh, LNG is arriving in Europe, albeit at elevated price. And then there is the price. Obviously, you know, one could argue that it's only arriving because the price is so elevated. But this is a gas crisis of, you know, price rather than supply failure at this point. I think it's important to understand that the uh, German uh, regulatory delays on the projects probably mean that uh, the market has certainly priced that it now looks increasingly unlikely that we're going to see Nord Stream 2 flows this winter. I mean, I wouldn't rule them out completely at this point. It is still possible that, you know, the Swiss company could set up the German subsidiaries in a matter of weeks. And, you know, possibly we could see some volume in the new year at the back end of Q1. But it seems to me to be pretty certain now that the market is really preparing for a, a no Nord Stream 2 volumes in Q1. Although the market is still priced at a structure that says, um, you know, the project will still happen. Overnight, we've been reminded that the uh, Americans still aren't happy about that. I think it's political positioning again, not unlike the uh, the oil strategic reserve thing we've seen, but uh, sanctions by Congress being placed on a company that has Russian connections and two ships that deal with the project. Transadria Limited is the name that's been um, touted in the press this morning. And uh, I think, you know, that's just a political statement that says we're still not happy about this, which probably is going to um, just slow things down a little bit. But removing the Nord Stream 2 issue, I think, you know, we're in the UK today, we're seeing about 80 MCM to balance the system of uh, LNG. So that Asian price and attracting LNG is still huge hugely important to the European and specifically the UK market. Right. Uh, well, as you say, there's a big political dimension to the Nord Stream 2 issue. We're all aware of, you know, the situation in Ukraine, relationship with Russia and the difficulties. Who knows what's going to happen over the months ahead, but it doesn't look as positive as it might have done uh, a while ago. But at least on LNG, the cargoes do seem to be coming here if the price is right. And, you know, are there any sort of physical constraints uh, in terms of shipping and so on that are contributing to this problem internationally? Yes, I mean, there's a bit push-me-pull-you relationship here between these two pricing dynamics. You know, when the Nord Stream 2 issues came through, we did see a kick-up in the Asian price as well as European gas prices went higher. So it's not just Europe desperately trying to follow Asia. It's just Asia typically prices its uh, marginal supply of LNG at, uh, at a higher price than we're traditionally comfortable with in Europe. Um, that said, you know, we, we have to make sure that uh, we can attract prices. Now, we are seeing that spread widen up a little bit in recent sessions over the last couple of weeks, which sort of gives a more calmed effect to the market. Well, we're going to see LNG in Europe regardless. It doesn't have to be absolutely parity with the uh, with the high LNG price. What I would say is that there is positive and negative news in Asia. There's positive news on Japanese and South Korean uh, LNG stocks. They've been buying it all summer, therefore uh, their stocks are very high, top of the five-year range. On the downside, it's very cold very early in parts of China, and they seem to be taking up the slack. Now, in terms of some of the US and America's base cargoes that can 
flip either way effectively. We're seeing constraints to all shipping through the Panama Canal and obviously that does skew the numbers in favour of Europe or certainly changes the dynamic of the numbers because if a ship's queuing up for two or three days either way to get through the Panama, they know that has a significant cost impact and therefore it just suggests that European prices don't have to be quite so sharp with the Asian price to, to make the maths actually say well I can run it to Europe and still make an attractive number rather than sitting in a, in a queue that could go on for days and days waiting to get through the shipping canals. That's a really interesting observation and a reminder that, you know, events sometimes uh, close to, if not literally, the other side of the world can have um, you know, quite profound impacts in the markets here. And turning now to carbon, just when we thought um, prices might be easing a little bit in gas and so on, we've hit record prices in the carbon market. Dare I ask what the prices are as we speak? So we're looking at around 70 euros per tonne EUA and about 64, 65 pounds a tonne in sterling. And really that's been, if we look in the run up to COP26, there was a lot of hesitancy, not only around COP26 and what would it announce, but also there was talk of the EU regulator, you know, looking into a market that had more than doubled in 12 months and, you know, without seemingly any real fundamental reason behind it, other than everybody's talking a tough game on emissions. Now, what we're seeing that doesn't seem to have been too widely reported was just as COP26 sort of subsided, the EU regulators come out and effectively waved the white flag and said, our initial view of what's been going on doesn't see anything wrong with uh, anything wrong in terms of behaviour in the market. Well, from a technical point of view, I'm sure that's absolutely true. But in terms of a structural point of view, which is the whole point here, in my opinion, is, you know, this market is being dominated now by ETF uh, exchange traded funds and contracts for difference. Every punter with a spread betting account can get involved in EUAs. And that's not the purpose of what the scheme is supposed to be, isn't it? It's supposed to be a a mechanism to help and raise investment for decarbonising economies and specifically uh, power generation and uh, aircraft as it's now been moved in. So it just seems to me to be another example of the worst way possible you can run a carbon market. And the, the white flag has definitely been run up, run up the pole by the regulator on this. And of course, a market that's awash with uh, investment money that uh, desperately needs to find a home because central banks have been printing it for nearly two years now. It, it's just an absolute toxic mix, in my opinion. Right. And um, and what a shame, because what industry needs is a a firm carbon price against which to invest and price in uh, projects for the future. It doesn't look like the uh, carbon market is quite delivering it as intended. And finally, just a word on the general situation economically and what the outlook is, because questions about interest rates, inflation generally, not just in the energy commodities and so on, are are really important, aren't they? And the the question about, you know, whether recovery is going to be stunted again in, you know, due to lockdown in Western Europe and the net effect of that versus growth elsewhere. So what do the markets feel is going on or about to? Well, I think interest rates is one of the key things here. You know, I think it would be a little, almost a, uh, a little surprising if people actually, uh, central banks moved this year. I think that uh, early in uh, Q1 will probably be when we see some action there. But you can already see it in terms of economics The euro is absolutely on the floor at the moment in terms of valuations against the dollar and sterling. 
that obviously means that uh, we're slightly more competitive in terms of buying gas and power from Europe because of the strong, strong sterling. But ultimately, I think, you know, there is, uh, we're still very much in the midst of how to deal with very strong inflation. There still doesn't seem to be any view on whether it's really being driven by the, uh, you know, the energy crises or, or whether it's deeper than that. I suspect uh, probably the latter. But there's a lot to play for in Q1. But I think in true style that we've seen um, since 2008, I think, they will kick this down the can as this can down the road as hard as and far as they can and you know go away for the end of the year uh, come back and reassess in the new year so i don't think we're going to see anything too dramatic before before q1 but uh, 22 is um has got lots and lots of question marks over it but the issue being that the money that's being printed the liquidity that's still being poured into all these markets now really does suggest to me that uh, all assets are uh, only going up in the short term just purely because there's a wash of money around looking for an investment return. Well, thank you, Jason, for explaining all of that and giving us your thoughts. It seems maybe it's going to be central bankers as well as energy consumers and indeed suppliers uh, that will be crossing their fingers and hoping for the best as we go through winter and into Q1 next year. So if you found that interesting, we'd like to find out some more. Do look at our website, alphaenergygroup.com forward slash UK and have a look at our reports there. And do listen out for another podcast again from us soon.